निरंजनम नित्यम अनंतरूपम भक्तानुकंपाधृत विग्रह वै ईशावतारम परमेशमिड्यम तंगमकृष्णम शिसा नमाम जननी शारदा देवी रामकृष्णम जगद्गु पादपद्मीतोस्वा प्रणमा मुहुर्मुहु नम श्रीयतिराजा विवेकानंदसूर सच्चिदुखस्वय स्वामीने तापहारिने so in the last class we were studying the portion of the 6th chapter of swami vivekananda's karma yoga so where we found the idea that the uh, which can be in the idea which can be in one word described as the problem of evil that in most of the dualistic religions we find the idea that god who is the ever perfect being from whom the world has emanated is supposed to be perfect how can perfectness perfection beget imperfection and that's the big question which we find in all the dualistic religion and for that we find that as we do not get any satisfactory answer so various other theologies have developed to answer to that question that from where the evil has emanated and in this context we find we were discussing that in the idea of the vedanta is that the ultimate reality whatever we designate it as god or brahman or whatever it may be is a conscious principle who is beyond good and evil the goodness and the evil what we ascribe to in this phenomenal existence in in no way is adhering to that ultimate existence so he is the ultimate existence from which the entire universe has been projected that universe in no way can affect the ultimate reality so though it is it is the cause but it is transcendent it is a cause and it is immanent it is he who has become the creation he who has become the creation so naturally we feel that if he has become the creation then all the pollution of the creation affects him so here we have to understand the idea of vedanta it's not parinamavada it is adhyarupa what is this this difference between these two so when i when we say that the god has become the creation it is not like something that milk getting converted to yogurt there is no substantial change in the ultimate reality it's not parinama it's not transformation it's rather superimposition so when you are passing through the desert you see a huge reservoir actually there is no reservoir 
It's a mirage which you hallucinate, you think to be a huge reservoir. Without the desert as a substratum, you can never see that reservoir. You need the desert as the substratum to see that mirage, that reservoir. But again, at the same time, though the desert is the cause of that huge reservoir, which I'm seeing is the cause, but that reservoir in no way can affect the desert. That, not a, that, that the huge reservoir which I'm seeing doesn't have the capacity to drench even a single sand particle of the desert. So it is the entire uh, mirage which I'm seeing is actually permeated by the desert. It is a desert which has been projected as that, but it is a mere projection. It doesn't have the capacity to drench even a single sand particle. So the good and the evil, nothing as such affects the ultimate reality. It's beyond the domain of good and evil. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the same sunlight which in which one is reading the scripture, the same sunlight may be used by someone else to just counter counterfeit the coins, currencies. So they are the same sunlight is being used by two different persons in two different ways that in no way is going to affect the sun. When I'm seeing a snake in a rope, a rope is lying in the dusk, I see as because of the, in the twilight hours, the sufficient light is not there. I see it as a snake. It is a rope which is appearing as a snake, but that snake doesn't have the capacity to just uh, bite that rope or to inject poison into that rope. It has no capacity. So it has, that's what it means by, though it is immanent, without the rope, you cannot see the snake. Without the desert, you cannot see the, this huge reservoir which you are hallucinating. Without the desert, as a substratum, you cannot see. So that is the cause. But at the same time, it is in no way affected because it is a mere projection. And that's how the good and evil in no way affects the ultimate reality. And now it becomes easy to relate to this world, all the events, that the nature of the world is such that the good and the evil has to coexist. I can never think of this world where everything will be good, where all the evil will be annihilated and only the goodness remains. As we were discussing in the last class, in a spectrum, if I identify myself with a particular spectrum, so the red spectrum, the more I go away from the prism, prism so that the red spectrum becomes more and more broadened. And that's how I think I'm going to just envelop the entire existence with that redness. It's never going to happen. The more the broader becomes the red spectrum, the broader becomes the other spectrums also. So the goodness and the evil has to coexist. In, in a psychological terms, we are all in the different level of psychological evolution. So when I am evolving, thinking that I am becoming good, others cannot relate to it. In this world, that's a big problem. We all think I am good, the others are evil. The persons whom I am thinking as evil, if you just try to find out their opinion, 
you will find just this is the same thing contrary this what they say it is actually i am good the other person is evil and that's the problem with the so called religious person they think they are uh, subscribing to goodness and the others are evil but the, if you go to the so called the one whom you are calling evil they say that he is a stupid it is i who am just a, a level headed person and and this this material way of living is the only way of living the spiritual thing is just a simpleton a stupid way of understanding the reality and thus we find both say that i am correct so in this world it is never the fight between the good and evil it is a fight of perspectives as we are in the different level of evolution from our stage of evolution my total paradigm the way i look at the reality is totally different from the other who may be at a different rung of the in the hierarchy of evolution in the hierarchy of evolution he may be in a different rung and that's how his reality is totally different from mine and that way we find that it is almost impossible to relate to the entire existence with goodness and to live out the evil if you have read that one of the uh, the father of the modern positive psychology is, is uh, considered to be abraham maslow in his philosophy there is the idea of the pyramid of needs in this world the more you evolve you find yourself alone the apex of the pyramid you find that is the narrow the most the it becomes narrower the as you go up to the uh, up and up in the pyramid it becomes narrower the base is broad the apex is just a point so as you evolve you will find you are alone so this has to be accepted this has to be accepted that this is a journey of the alone to the alone if i think that with my goodness i will take the entire world and it will be converted it's never going to happen so with that idea that swami ji we find is just bringing home this point that doing good to the world with the orientation with the motivation that at last evil will be annihilated and only goodness will be there i will be frustrated with that type of motivation it's never going to happen then shall we stop doing good shall we become a pessimist and uh, shall we become uh, just uh, one who has nothing to do with the existence has totally retired think, thinking it to be a hopeless situation no goodness has to be pursued but only the motivation has to change it is not with the motivation that i am going to change the world it's never going to happen however we may try we will find evil is finding expression in one way or other its nature changes the evil is always there i can never get rid of it then why should i do good it's for my own spiritual evolution because when any goodness means any goodness means annihilation of my selfishness i keep my interest secondary i give others interest the primary importance and that's why i'm constantly self abnegating i am annihilating my ego and that's the only way of spiritual evolution the answer is not in this physical world but at the same time i cannot simply renounce it i have to work through it 
and evolve. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to give, has given a very nice definition of spirituality and materialism. The so-called spirituality, the religion which we think is religion, is actually gross materialism. Why? Where God is the means, in the words of Swamiji, where God is the means, world is the end. That is sheer materialism. In the name of spirituality, what we are doing, in the olden days, those who were believing uh, more in ritualistic type of religion, we find they're going to the shrine, praying for what? For more money, for wealth, for prosperity, for good position in life. And sometimes we may think it is a very gross form of religion. And in its place, what we are doing nowadays? No, no, spiritual, some that though that aspect of spirituality we don't need, but there is some another aspect. What? Yoga, meditation, all those things. But are we really doing it in the proper sense? There also we will find we don't want to change our life. We lead a very fast life and then lot of psychic problems, physical problems develop. And to get rid of that, I need meditation. I need yoga. It has nothing to do with the basic practices of yoga, of yama, niyama, nothing. No transformation of life. So here also we find the so-called spirituality is just the means that I have developed some lifestyle diseases, some psychological stress to get rid of that yoga meditation. It's in no way different from the one who is going to the shrine and just praying to the Lord, give me this, give me that. So this type of spirituality Swamiji is saying is no spirituality at all. It is a mere materialism where God is the means, world is the end. I want the, all the prosperity in this world. God is just the means, I don't want God then what is spirituality? Very nice is defining. Where world is the means. And I understand that there is no hope with the world. I don't simply renounce it and go to the forest as if having nothing to do with the world. No. World is the means. I have to work out through this world by doing good. But God is the end. So that's the basic difference. How nicely is defining. What is materialism? Where? God is the means, world is the end. That is sheer materialism. And what is spirituality? Where world is the means. I'm not renouncing it. World is the means. And God is the end. That through all this goodness, I'm going to abnegate myself, so-called idea of this limited self. I have as if to annihilate my ego and evolve. Once the ego falls off, it is the ego which has actually kept me uh, limited in this psychophysical existence. Once the ego is abnegated, it is the same Atman, which, can be, which will be realized as the Brahman. The word Atman means that which resides within, is localized. And the word Brahman, that word Brahman came from Brihdhatu, which, that means, that is, which is Brihat, which whose cannot be localized, who is all pervading, the Brihdhatu, from that the word Brahman came. And in Vedanta they say Atman is Brahman. How? That this is a disease state in which we are. When we get diseased, what happened? The consciousness which is supposed to pervade the entire body. My health is to throb through the entire body. When I get diseased, there is ease I have lost. What happens? That consciousness gets localized. When I am healthy, my consciousness is throbbing through the entire body. 
And when I get diseased, I say my head is aching. It has got localized there. My heart is aching. My knees are aching. So disease means localized awareness, localized consciousness. So in the spiritual sense, we are all diseased. The non-local consciousness, the Brahman, the moment it gets localized in this psychophysical existence, it is that state of disease. That is the Bhavaroga, this disease of worldliness. The entire spiritual journey is nothing to get rid of that localized awareness, localized consciousness. I am the self which has as such no locality. I'm beyond time, space, causation. Nothing is there to bound me. So this self-abnegation alone, the, that's the only thing which is the sign of spirituality that indicates the spirituality. So that's why with that idea, I have to do good. So with this idea, we found Swamiji in the last section was the, 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 the section which we concluded in the last class was actually dealing with this idea. So now we will find that Swamiji is extending this idea by categorizing the entire human being into four categories. So we will now read the text and go to the further discussion. You will find various classes of men in this world. First, there are the God-men whose self-abnegation is complete and who do only good to others even at the sacrifice of their own lives. These are the highest of men. If there are a hundred of such in any country, that country need never despair. But they are unfortunately too few. Then there are the good men who do good to others so long as it does not injure themselves. And there is a third class who, to do good to themselves, injure others. It is said by a Sanskrit poet that there is a fourth unnameable class of people who injure others merely for injury's sake. Just as there are at one pole of existence the highest good men who do good for the sake of doing good, so at the other pole there are others who injure others just for the sake of the injury. They do not gain anything thereby, but it is their nature to do evil. So that's the idea which Swami Vivekananda is bringing home. In this world, you will find that the opposite poles look alike. The light, we can see only a particular band of light, the vibjyor, from the violet to the red is visible. That doesn't mean that's the only light. There is infrared light, which is a very less frequency. I cannot see it. At the night when I'm saying it is dark, it's not dark. The nocturnal animals who can, whose eyes are set to see the infrared light, they can at night just catch their prey because those nocturnal elements have the capacity to see infrared light, but it is darkness to us. And then ultraviolet light, that intense light which burns our skin, which is the cause of the skin cancer, we don't see it. And that's the light which actually speaks of the heat, 
There's the global warming, the more the ozone layer, layer is depleting, the ultraviolet light is passing through the atmosphere and it is affecting our the skin. And we are getting skin cancer, but it is not visible. The same brightness you see, even when the ultraviolet light is permeating through the atmosphere, it's not that this, the sky becomes more bright for us, it's the same brightness. But the thing which is not visible is the ultraviolet as well as the infrared. So one is a very less frequency, another is a very high frequency, but both are invisible to us. Same with the sound. We cannot hear sound, subsonic sound, neither can we can hear the supersonic sound. So here, this is the idea Swamiji in many other places also has brought. The opposite poles look alike. That's why in this world, sometimes Tamasikata is or goes in the name of Sattva. They come in the disguise, they're the opposite poles. One is lazy, that's why inactive. Other person is in a state of flow. Through endeavor, he has entered into a state of flow. And that's why he appears to be inactive, but everything is spontaneous for him. So these two are extreme. So here also, that the general tendency of human beings should be what? To do good to the others. To good to others. Why? Because we find that we as a human being cannot live alone. We have something in our genes called altruistic genes. It has through evolution we have learned. It is only by cooperating that we survive. So that's the category where I help others thinking of help in return. That's the second category. But in doing so, the spiritual aspect starts revealing in our life. I do with an expectation of getting help. I help so that I also in return can get help. But the moment you help others, you in some way are, is abnegating your ego. The ego boundary is falling off and you will find that even if I don't get anything in return, just doing good to others give me joy, give me bliss. This is the thing which we all don't sometimes forget. In this world, the only way of getting joy is by giving. I was in Belurmat in welfare section for two years. And there, I think one thing I noticed, the extreme, the people who are uh, in extreme abject poverty, they will come for small help. It was a regular feature. And now the other Swami who was there in charge, so he one day pointed me that just make a note. What this, what's the thing you have to make a note? That all these people who come for help, just see how many really asks help for themselves. They will say that, please give me 50 rupees or 100 rupees, whatever it may be. And you ask them why. And just keep a note of the reason for which they're asking money. A very interesting thing we found. Not a single person asked money for himself. Old person coming saying that I cannot feed my son or my grandson. I cannot educate them. I cannot buy books, buy clothes for them. And that's why I need money. We, when you have sufficient money to go on with your life, sometimes we don't realize that how much pain uh, we have when we cannot give. 
in giving there is a tremendous joy when uh, it's our natural state of existence we don't realize but when somehow you are in abject poverty you cannot give it gives terrible pain there's joy in giving because when you are giving your ego is annihilated and you are relating to the collective consciousness as sri ramakrishna used to give a very nice example that what's our ego like it's just like a pot you immerse a pot in the ocean the same ocean water enters into the pot but now you will say this is the water of the pot the barrier of the pot now segregates the water the entire water of the ocean from the water in the pot the same water not only that the waves outside can no more create waves inside the ego barrier is so strong that's why in this life we will find a very interesting thing that sometimes sympathy becomes a duty when someone is suffering someone has lost the near and dear one we go and attend the funeral with a sense of duty without feeling any sense of suffering within sometimes we cannot relate we just do it as a sense of duty why because the ego barrier is very strong in the children you will find their ego is yet to develop they relate so easily to each other they are playing together one falls gets hurt starts crying you find all the children have started crying very easily they relate because the ego barrier is very very thin the more we grow the more that becomes thicker the more we cannot relate to others joys and sorrows that's why when swami vivekananda was uh, uh, as a wandering monk was moving around india there another di- direct disciple of ramakrishna he was also a wandering monk swami turiyananda met him and turiyananda by way asked him that are you progressing spiritually swami vivekananda's reply was very significant he told hari bhai that was his nickname turiyananda ji hari bhai i understand nothing of your conventional religion or spirituality but one thing i have i realize what is that my heart has really become very very sensitive it really feels others suffering others joys and sorrows it feels and that's the sign of spirituality the more i grow spiritual the more the ego boundary falls off the more the water inside the pot now is getting affected by the waves of the ocean the collective consciousness is going to affect me if the ego boundary falls off that's a nice example ramakrishna gives and that's the thing happens though with an altruistic that our altruistic genes are there so that by helping others we accept that we also will get the help but in the process of helping this the all the great men what has happened they found terrible joy in relating just in giving out in reaching out and when they give they receive means you need, you need not uh, give them something in return just just receive that bliss and out of that they just go on doing good to the world without thinking of their own good in any way and even they are ready to sacrifice their lives and that's the highest category swami ji is saying that the persons we find in all the religions the godmen whose self aggregation is complete whose ego has totally fallen off 
who do only good to others even at the sacrifice of their own lives and that's why it is very important that even to small children if you want to donate for some charity instead of transferring it directly let your child have some bank account where you are contributing to him but give the idea that this birthday instead of celebrating with the friends why not from your pocket money that you uh, give to the needy ones you know what happens that that act itself educates in giving the child who feels that only in grabbing things i get happiness for the first time he will realize that in giving there is a terrible joy through the act religion is a verb it is not a noun through that action immediately he knows the joy in giving and that has happened with all the godmen where the self abnegation is complete who do only good to the others even at the sacrifice of their own lives so they are the highest and then comes that altruistic the our action because of the altruistic gene they if there are hundred of any such uh, such men in any country that country need not despair but it never happens to be as we told that the pyramid of needs of abraham maslow the higher you go the lesser number of adherents you find so it's never going to be but uh, that's what swami ji is saying unfortunately there 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 are too few then the second category which we were speaking of that then they are the good men who do good to others so long as it does not injure themselves the third category that for my own happiness i am ready to injure others just the one who is stealing that the dacoits the so called who are just uh, looting others property so for their for the sake of the selfish need they are ready even to injure others to get someone's money i kill him so these are the third category and we think they are the worst but swami ji is saying that in a sanskrit proverb there is a there there is a fourth category who injure others just for the sake of injuring most probably it doesn't serve any purpose to them in the in in this life whatever we do out of need that becomes an obsession we forget the need after some time just doing it becomes our obsession when out of my selfish need i am injuring others know it for certain after some time what will happen this injuring others will become an obsession it is going to become an obsession then there is no need for any reason any selfish reason just i become a sadist person sadistic person just by harming others that gives me joy just the way the highest category we found in helping others without any expectation helping others give them joy there is the fourth category the unnameable category of people who swami ji says just by injuring others get joy without any reason they will be injuring others and of course we find in many such people with a sadistic attitude with a without any reason they are harming others so these are the four categories of people that swami vivekananda is speaking of so everywhere we will find that the way of life we are resorting to at the beginning we think i have total control over it 
at last you will find you are controlled by your habit that's the reason has uh, is no more the cause of your motivation it is no more the reason there is no reason for, uh, for doing anything just doing it becomes your habit and that's how we get degraded so after saying this the san swami ji will bring two points two sanskrit words so let us read the text and then we will try to relate it has it is actually related to the discussion which we already had so what swami ji is saying now here are two sanskrit words the one is pravritti which means revolving towards and the other is nivritti which means revolving away our ego is the depression you know how we get cyclone whenever there is a depression <clears throat> immediately that a low pressure belt a depressed uh, has developed a depression has developed the air from the all the surrounding they will rush in creating the cyclone or the hurricane the all thing is drawn inside it is just been drawn inside it becomes a hurricane or even the ocean the tornado whatever you see is just drawing in our ego is that depression the stronger it is the more it is just drawing in everything towards itself and the other is the nivritti when <clears throat> the more the ego dissolves then what happens then everything is just being thrown away so i don't keep anything with myself the more the pravritti is there wherever this pravritti is there it is bound to beget evil the nivritti speaks of the spiritual evolution so the revolving towards is what we call the world of i and mine it includes all those things which are always enriching that me by wealth and money and power and name and fame and which are of a grasping nature always tending to accumulate everything in one center the center being myself that is the pravritti it means encircling is encircling in and circling out is the nivritti the natural tendency of every human being is this pravritti taking everything from everywhere and heaping it around one center that center being man's own sweet self when this tendency begins to break when it is nivritti or going away from then begin morality and religion so this pravritti speaks of it is also needed it speaks of abhyudaya the entire this gamut of the sentient beings from the microbes till the human being has evolved because of pravritti what has happened just take a small microbe the non local consciousness because of ignorance is now thinking itself as a small microbe the moment it thinks itself as a small microbe what happens in the yoga sutra we have studied that from avidya from that ignorance comes asmita the sense of i and mine and from that three things comes raga dvesha abhinivesha that the moment i think myself a small microbe anything which is going to sustain me nourish me i am drawn towards it raga 
anything which is going to destroy that micro body, I think I'm going to be destroyed. I run away from it. Dvesha, fight and flight response. Either I'm drawn or there's a fight and flight response. Why? Now I have identified with this small micro body. I want to keep it. Actually, it is an ignorance that I can never be eternal as a small micro body. The echo of eternity is because of the self which is being reflected in that micro body. It is always eternal. But because of ignorance, it is being reflected in the micro body. The micro thinks I have to be eternal in this micro body. And from that, the evolution, from this prabritti, the evolution has started. Now it tries, tries to grab everything within so that it can sustain itself in that body. How it does? The single micro finds that the external nature can annihilate him at any time. A little change of stimulus is sufficient to kill it. Little heat, little pressure, it is gone. So what it started doing? It now started collaborating. The various microbes started forming a single body and started division of labor. You do this digestion, I do respiration. At the human being, we find there's the highest specialized colony of cells, the division labor. Why we have evolved from microbe to this human being through all the process, by prabritti, by gathering in, why we have done? Because of that ignorance. That I actually am beyond all limit. I am eternal. But when I try to find that eternity in this body, then this attempt to grab everything and evolve physically, that become, brings the process of evolution. And at last I find this attempt is futile. I can never realize eternity in this level. And actually I'm already eternal. It is because of that ignorance that this uh, conscious principle which is being reflected in this body, I take this reflection to be real. This ignorance has resulted in this evolution. It's alone in the, for the human being to realize this fact and stop this gathering in. Because I'm already that. Why I should just go on with this futile attempt? It has no end and I can never be successful in it. So now comes the nivritti. But I'm already that. Why just grabbing in? Why just have this ego and go on grabbing in everything around it? So now that so-called renunciation comes. The thang, you start letting go. And then the star thing starts falling off. So this actually, both actually speaking of work. Both are work. Nivritti also is a work. Why? That it, it is a process. Gradually through the renunciation, I have to go at last. When this renunciation is complete, then I again get established in my real self. So these are the two ways. It is actually this idea is, is being uh, described by Shankaracharya at the very introduction of the Bhagavad Gita in his commentary of Bhagavad Gita. He starts with this idea. That's what Swamiji is quoting here. That these are the two modes of action in this world. When God created this world, along with this, he has given the entire sentient beings these two modes of action, pravritti and nivritti. So both are work. Both pravritti and nivritti are of the nature of work. The former is the evil work because it is at last 
the result of ignorance and the latter is the good work this nivritti is the fundamental basis of all morality and all religion the moment that realization dawns in that i am already perfect this grabbing in because of this grabbing the things because of ignorance to satisfy my ego this is the product of delusion and that starts falling off and that's where the religion starts so that's why he's saying nivritti is the fundamental basis of all morality and all religion and the very perfection of it is entire self abnegation readiness to sacrifice mind and body and everything for another being when a man has reached that state he has attained to the perfection of karma yoga this is the highest result of good works now swami vivekananda you will find he's here bringing a totally new idea that you need that there can be a spiritual evolution even of an atheist the one who doesn't believe in god there are two types of atheist one are the the epicurean or in uh, the indian uh, background they are called the charvakas that we have this only one life there is nothing after this life so just eat drink and be merry and in the as the charvak used to say that javat jivet javat jivet sukham jivet ritam kritva ghritam pivet that as this there is only one life enjoy it if you don't have money take loan and enjoy and now to, to take loan is not easy why should people give you money so the word charvak means charu vak you must have the capacity good oratorical capacity good way of communication just by your communication you can advertise so many things and that way you can easily get loan and enjoy the life don't think of returning it you can relate it with the present world that the in the present world with the tertiary economy how much importance is given to your communication skills you <laughs> have no other skills but the communication skills can make you the ceo uh, he speaks of the charvak philosophy i am not speaking of the atheism in that sense there is an enlightened atheism that i don't believe in god but at the same time i believe in the idea of the greater goodness that let us do good to the world so in return what happens that the world prospers i that it is a matter of mutual interdependence it is a win win situation there is no need for god let us do good for other for the common good so it's enlightens this atheism can lead to spirituality and the dross materialism of course in that there we cannot never think of any spirituality but this enlightened atheism the atheism which actually gives importance to the goodness there also without god it can actually help you to evolve that's the idea swami vivekananda now will be bringing home to all of us what's that although a man has not studied a single system of philosophy although he does not believe in any god and never has believed although he has not prayed even once in his whole life if the simple power of good actions has brought him to that state where he is ready to give up his life and all else for others he has arrived at the same point 
to which the religious man will come through his prayers and the philosopher through his knowledge and so you may find that the philosopher the worker and the devotee all meet at one point that one point being self abnegation so very precisely swami ji is bringing home the point that what actually spirituality is it is self abnegation nothing else when someone asks ramakrishna when shall i be free his immediate answer was just one sentence answer when i the i within the semicolon when i cease to be the english word sin from where that sin comes you just see the word sin s i n sin the i is the core of the word sin the word the alphabet i is enclosed by s and n so literally i is the core of the word sin sin and spiritually it's also the sin it is the i which is the core of all sin that's what swami ji is saying pravritti this everything grabbing around that i that alone is the evil that's the sin the more i can abnegate that alone is spirituality you need not believe in god you need not believe in any philosophy if somehow that self abnegation happens you realize you go you go to the ultimate realization because this limited self this puny ego falls off that's why you will find in our scriptures how so much importance is given to the dharma yuddha that if you are fighting for a righteous cause and in the in the process of fighting for the righteous cause you die you attain liberation sometimes we don't understand we think it is just an exaggeration no the same thing when i am fighting for an ideal the ideal has become as if like my my own son it is my child the way the mother protects the child you are ready to protect the ideal even at the cost of your life the mother is ready to sacrifice the life for the son for the her own child she is ready so here also you are ready here the son here the ideal has become that you have nurtured it in such a way it has become your child and you are ready even to sacrifice your life the ego has abnegated and that's why in our scripture they say that it is so Uh, that it's the easiest way to attain liberation to sacrifice your life for a cause and that's why they say in this kali yuga it's very easy to get liberation you know why when every situation is favorable there is no such evil in the society the evil is very very reduced then through meditation you go to the state of pure sattva where you start enjoying the meditation and you continue for aeons together in that sattvic state that is also a bondage as swami ji used to say golden chain is also a chain iron chain is also a chain both binds but in kali yuga what happens when you are trying to lead a righteous life the evil is so pervading you find terrible opposition and not only terrible opposition opposition even in trying to injure you annihilate you if someone can stick to goodness that's why sri ramakrishna is to say in this in kali yuga in this iron age to adhere to the truth satya katha kolir tapasya why it is tapas is a great tapas here because it is so difficult 
we find that at each and every moment in our life, the truth is compromised. And sometimes we almost believe that it is almost impossible to lead a truthful life in this age. Somehow or other, we compromise. <clears throat> but that is the wrong way of understanding. We should say that I don't have the strength to really adhere to the truth. But it can be followed. It's not that it cannot be followed. I don't have the strength. I accept that my weakness, but don't say that it cannot be done. If you can do it just the way a soldier does in the battlefield, he never says, I have a family. I have my children. I have my own life. Those he's present. He is there to sacrifice his life for the good of others. So, he never can say that, uh, that uh, I, I just uh, retreat because after all, I have my family to look after. So that's, that's the same way when as a civilian, we become a fighter. That in the society, if anyone decides that I am going to lead a righteous life in no way I'm going to compromise, know it for certain, it becomes the easiest way for liberation because constantly your ego will be annihilated. So much opposition will be there. At each and every moment, you will have to face hardship. But if you can stick to it, that will can take you to the ultimate liberation. So that's why liberation doesn't actually depend on the believing in God or not. That's why we will find Buddha. He found that the God was a means for liberation, but we got stuck to that idea thinking it. That just discussing on this theology, discussing on the idea of God, that became the, the sonam and bonam of spiritual life. That's why we find Buddha was totally silent about God. When someone asked him, asked Buddha, that don't you believe in God? He maintained silent, he never answered. Thinking that, that he doesn't believe in God, first he asked, do you believe in God? He was silent. Then the questioner thought that he doesn't believe in God, he asked, oh, you don't believe in God? He was silent. There was no answer. That man was frustrated, he left. Buddha's disciple Ananda saw that Buddha never gave any answer. So after the person left, Ananda asked Buddha, that why don't you say either yes or no? Why are you silent? What Buddha told is very, very interesting. It has something to do with the idea which has been spoken of here by Swamiji. Buddha told, I never speak of principle. I speak of the way. And people always misunderstand the way to be the ultimate goal. That for some reason we are in suffering. We have to go out of it. I am showing the way. And that way, somehow you just started developing a theory out of it. And he gave a nice example. Like the, like the mother, I am trying to show the small child the moon. You know, the small child who's yet to develop attention, the mother takes the child out, the child is in the mother's lap, and the mother points with the finger to the moon. And the mother finds at last, with all her attempts, she's a failure. The child is looking at mother's face. She has, he has yet to develop that focus. Now the mother forcefully catch holds of the chin of the child, turns it towards the direction of the index finger and says, see, 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 there's the moon. And at last the mother finds with all this attempt, a big fail, she is a failure, why? At last she finds the child is looking at the index finger. The child is so attached to the mother, 
that is always attention is to mother, to the this physical existence of the mother. So it can never think anything beyond the mother. So when she, he, she is pointing at the moon with the index finger, the child is looking at the index finger, thinking it to be the moon. And that's what Buddha is saying, that how that, that his in, in, inability to really instruct the people, the constantly the people do that mistake. So we will find in the entire world of spirituality that has happened in the name of God, in the name of philosophy, you got stuck in the index finger that it is pointing something. What it is pointing? Self-abnegation. So without all those gods, with that philosophy, if you can reach that self-abnegation, that alone can take you to the ultimate spirituality. Otherwise, what happens with us? We remain forever with these ideas, believe in God and with the philosophy, not moving a single step farther. As Swamiji used to say, it is good to be born in a church. It is horrible to die there. And that's what happens with us. In the words of Buddha, no one carries the raft on his shoulder after crossing the river. But for us, the raft has become the be all and end all of our existence. So that's why Swamiji is making that strong claim that forget about all the ideologies, somehow reach that self-abnegation. If you don't believe in God, don't waste in time in arguing whether God is or not. Do you believe in doing good to others? Do it. And that alone gradually will absolve your ego, dissolve your ego. And immediately, the moment the I falls off, immediately it takes you to that ultimate realization. The I is just like a wall. You have to create a hole in that wall of I to peep to the eternity. And that's what, so in the, it says actually Ramakrishna is giving that example. That I is a wall in which all our spiritual practice is to create a hole so that I can, what's beyond the world is eternity. You peep into the eternity by making a hole into the wall of I. And this making a hole into the wall of I is a self-abnegation which can come just by doing good to others without thinking of any selfish motive. And be, uh, that, that can just take us to the ultimate realization even without the idea of God or without resorting to any philosophy. So that's a terrible claim Swamiji is making. And that's a, uh, what you say, that's a, this is the thing which can be even the religion of the atheists. You need not believe in God, just believing, doing good, that itself at last without your knowledge can take you to the highest spirituality because you're following the way. You need not all the theism and atheism all is actually with a futile idea of discussing about the God, which is beyond our purview, our scope at present. What's the use of simply discussing on it? Just follow the way and you will get the result. In this context, I will tell you a story. You know, the Swami Vivekananda used to say that, do you feel that this life is a waste? Sometimes that there's the other end of atheism, that there is no God just living for some time and then I die. This life has no meaning. This is a waste. So sometimes when we are depressed, we start feeling that way. And we, I will just tell you one story. Uh, it's a very uh, contemporary story that how people get still, that people get highly inspired by the words of Swami Vivekananda. Uh, those who are from the Indian background, we all know that in the name of Anna Hazare, so he really did some he was a good social work and all. He's known for his work in India. 
Now this Anna Hazare was, uh, you know, the short time worker in the army, and then uh, he had to retire. He was still in his twenties when he retired because it was a short short service commission. He he got a, 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 a the job for a very uh, for few years, and when he retired, as he was not having an education and all, he started getting depressed. But what to do with the life? I'm just to uh, cut the sh story short. Yes, I'm just telling the the crux of it. At last, he got so depressed, he thought of committing suicide. He went to the Pune railway station and was waiting for a train, a through train. The train won't which won't stop in that station. It is just going to through pass through that station in full speed. It was announced that the through train will pass at such and such time. Anna Hazare was waiting to jump in front of it and that's and to take away his own life. And in India, you know this uh, this uh, the delay, the train delay can be sometimes really uh, it can change the course of your destiny. So what happened again that there was a next announcement that the through train is be delayed. It will be passing through the station at another half an hour later. So now. Anna Hazare became very restless. What to do with this half an hour? He has already decided to take away his life. So now he went to some nearby books stall and was just going through some books. He was just turning the pages of some book. And by the way, he came to uh, just handle one of the books of Swami Vivekananda. It was just a booklet of some of his quotations. He was going through the pages and this one line came that you have already wasted so many life. Why not give one life for me? And suddenly Anna Hazare thought, yes, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to waste my life. And if those, those who believe in reincarnation, so many life we have wasted, this life also I'm going to waste. If I'm already going to waste, if I'm not going to think of me, why not think for others? That's what Swamiji is indicating by saying, by giving life for me. And that's the turning point of Anna Hazare. And sheer by karma yoga, sheer by karma yoga, he transformed his life, overhauled his personality. If you have ever seen Anna Hazare giving speech, sitting from any uh, for a huge congregation behind the stage, obviously you notice you will find the picture of Swami Vivekananda. He became an adherent follower of him. Just that one line, one line without seeing Swamiji, as Romarola used to say. That Swamiji's words that I just am now reading, I haven't seen Swamiji. But when I read, I find that this word as if it enters through your nerves, your veins, and as if creates a turmoil in your entire this system. And that has been true, has been proven to be true for so many people. The life has got transformed. These words are so powerful. Uh, I will go out of the context if I can, if I will be. Uh, speaking on some other lives in some other occasion we will say that how single sentence of a, this you know this uh, great person like swamiji can transform the entire life why i'm just taking the story of anna hazari here just to say there's this there's, there's a proof of this self abnegation that that i'm giving away my life not in a west in just in, a, in the attempt of suicide rather giving away the life in a way of doing helping others that way I self-abnegate. The question of suicide will come. I have brought this because Swamiji himself will bring this idea in uh, as he uh, proceeds further in his lecture. 
So that's why we brought it. So this self-abnegation, if you think that, that there is no purpose as such of the life, then at last, if you love death, that's what Swamiji is saying. A sannyasi is one who is a sannyasi who loves death. That doesn't mean he will be committing suicide. Love death means when you know for certain that the death is inevitable. That life is after all is not permanent, not eternal. It is inevitable. Loving death means live the life in such a way that when you meet death, you find the purpose of life is already fulfilled. So that is the real meaning of love death. So that's the thing Swamiji is indicating through his idea, this self-abnegation. So uh, as we proceed further, he will, because when you say self-abnegation, immediately the idea comes, oh, if nothing has to be done with the life, why not just give away the life by committing suicide? So in the words of the scripture, there is a chance that each and every moment we misunderstand. That's why Swamiji will go to the other extreme to bring the idea of suicide and then discuss that how that suicide can never be a solution. It can never be a solution. It actually is increasing the problem. It no way can solve the problem. That he will bring home that point and then he will continue with the idea of working your karma through uh, this, uh, all your good actions which at last can take you to the idea of that annihilating of your ego. And that's the idea of self-abnegation which Swamiji is again and again uh, bringing in his discussion. So with this, we stop our discussion today. We'll continue uh, with the remaining portion of this lecture. It's a very nice lecture of Swami Vivekananda. When some points here bringing as very, very pertinent point that how without the idea of God, without the idea of philosophy, just by karma, being good for others without thinking of your own interest, you can lead, it can lead to the liberation. That's a very, very healing <clears throat> idea of Swamiji. With this, he will uh, conclude this lecture. So with this, we today stop our discussion. We continue with the remaining portion again in the next class. Thank you all. Namaskar, Swamiji. Thank you very much. Namaskar, Maharaj. Namaskar. 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 Namaskar.